0: Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunities, for answered prayer, Lord, um, this last week of giving opportunities to proclaim the gospel, to speak the truth, to um, thank you for Pat and just her neighbor. I pray that you would work in that situation and, and help Pat uh, just to, to have compassion and to overcome the the dislike, um, Lord, that's that's real, and we just pray for grace, and I pray that you would um, show mercy um, to her neighbor and to her neighbor's... Uh, brother i think it was so uh, pray that you would grant grace pray that you grant them salvation lord we thank you for steve and, and um, being interact able to interact with ronald a couple times and uh, lord that's just your grace and we pray that you, he would come today and we'd be able to welcome him uh, please uh, grant grant him uh, repentance grant him knowledge of you we ask and um, just thank you thank you for how you work thank you how you are building your church and uh, we pray that you would bless our time together as we talk more about holiness. In your name, Amen. All right. So um, we left off last week talking 2 Corinthians, uh, and really what we did in Second Corinthians six fourteen through seven one last week is just kind of seeing again that it, this this whole temple priesthood holiness imagery clean unclean is uh, it's 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 not just one time in the New Testament. It's many times, and it's drawing on all of that Old Testament background. Paul in 2 Corinthians 714 7, one says, Okay, you're the temple, so separate yourselves from uh, entangling alliances uh, or associations with uh, with those who are involved in um, idol worship, with the world. Um, and then you see that separation between the common and the holy. Uh, that's where all this is based off. Holiness is uncommonness. Uh, so you've got the common realm and then the uncommon realm. We've been called out of the common realm to be Uncommon use, use for God's service as priests, because of the work of Christ. Uh, we also saw in the passage last week this command: uh, because we have these promises, what? What was the command last week? Because we have these promises, what do we do? Because we're the temple, because you're this people, what do you do? Second Corinthians seven one. Yeah, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, which is that kind of related word for completeness, perfection that we've been talking about. Remember, you're cleansed, then you're sanctified, and then ultimately you're perfected. So cleanse yourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, uh, bringing holiness to completion, uh, either in the fear of the Lord or by the fear of the Lord. Um, so that's one of the strongest statements in the New Testament to say, yes, you are positionally holy, but now you're in this in-between time where you're not to perfection yet. You're not to dwelling in God's uh, naked presence, enjoying his pure life. Uh, uh, that's, that's the perfect life. We said that even in the Old Testament. It, the ideal scenario would have been to dwell in the holy of holies unhindered, right? We're not there yet. We're in this in-between time, and in that in-between time, we're trying to live out or reflect Uh, the calling that we have been given in christ right so the call is cleanse yourselves yes christ has cleansed us but now there's this dynamic of we're trying to live up to that we're trying to practically live out that position we've been given so we cleanse ourselves and we want to talk more about that dynamic um that dynamic of uh okay be holy for i am holy uh don't live out in the same behavior that you did that's what first peter said Um, So we want to talk more about that dynamic. How do we cleanse ourselves? How do we grow? How do we transform? That's where all of this has really been leading us. We needed to see all this backdrop, but how do we grow? How do we transform? And so for that, uh, I'm going to take you to another place in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, 6. Again, the ladies who have been the... We're doing the women's Bible study through 2 Corinthians. Uh, you guys are going to have an advantage. So, you guys speak up um, and help us as we walk through this. Okay? Uh, because this passage uh, does have uh, uh, a lot of bearing on this idea of holiness and transformation. Uh, one of the things that we talked about even in Hebrews is. You've got Old Covenant versus New Covenant. We are in the New Covenant. Uh, We saw that even in Hebrews. And so because of what Christ has done in the New Covenant, we are able to draw near. Well, what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians, especially from chapter 2 onward, he's he's, uh, really kind of through chapter 6, he's defending his ministry. He's defending his ministry of the New Covenant. And so we're kind of dropping right into the middle of that. But that's the kind of context. He's defending to the Corinthians saying, look, you've got people there that are questioning us. You're now questioning us. Uh, let's lay out for you the new covenant ministry and let me show you its superiority. Uh, and so that's a lot of what's going on in this section that we're going to look at, but there's implications for us because uh, just like uh, the Hebrews said, uh, we, we're thinking about this priesthood, we're thinking about this idea of now we, we have advantages over the old covenant people. Uh, he's going to lay out some of those even as we go here, okay? So we're gonna break it up, we're gonna chunk it up. Um, uh, someone go ahead and read 3 1 through 3 uh, in 2 Corinthians. Okay, so Paul's basically saying, hey, look, you guys are questioning our ministry. Do you think we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? And he addresses both. Basically, he says, our love and affection for you is our letter of recommendation to other people as we encounter them. And he also says, but we also, uh, uh, the letter of recommendation to you, Corinthians, was the reality of uh, the... Uh, the letter being delivered by us, written, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, right? God, Christ gave us the letter of recommendation, and he wrote it on your hearts. He wrote it on your hearts rather than hearts of stone. Now, already he's doing something. He's alluding to the new covenant. Uh, Let's drop back to our new covenant text. What are our go-to new covenant texts? Pop quiz. What are our go-to New Covenant texts? There's one in Ezekiel. I heard that. Which is Ezekiel? are not in Ezekiel. Yeah, so there's one in Ezekiel. There's one in Jeremiah. There's actually several, but... Uh, Close. So it's 36. Ezekiel 36. So let's let's actually start there, since you mentioned it. And then, yes, there's one in Jeremiah. Um, Ezekiel 36... And someone read 25 through 27. So we get, catch some of the what Paul is alluding to. So 26, 25 through 27. Someone go ahead and read that. Now, what similarities do you see between the 2 Corinthians passage and this language? Change is written on the heart. Very good. Versus what? Uh, Hearts of what? Stone versus hearts of what? Flesh, right? Um, Hearts of stone versus hearts of flesh. Uh, Now, what is the spirit writing or doing um, in, in Ezekiel? writing but what's he what's he writing put it that way yeah the law right he's writing the law on the heart this is where we get back to the other new covenant passage jeremiah Where are at in jeremiah good okay jeremiah 31 what verse close 31 so jeremiah 31 31 through uh 34 Eden, would you go ahead and read that? <laughs> go to the left. <laughs> yes, thank you. 34s. Uh, th- 31, 31 through 34. Very good. So, you see the same writing language, right? Uh, what's being written on the heart? Well, it's very clear from Jeremiah 31-34, 31, 31 34, the law is, the Torah. It's the same word that's used for the Mosaic Covenant. The law is being written on the heart. So, in the New Covenant, the law doesn't go away. It just gets written on the heart. It gets internalized, right? What was it written on in the Old Covenant? It's tablets of stone, right? Which is what Paul's alluding to in 2 Corinthians, where were the tablets of stone? In the Ark, right? In the Holy of Holies, right? Which is kind of, you think about the spatialness of what we've been talking about with holiness, right? The the tablets are where? They're in the Holy of Holies, which is where we want to be. Um, but now, in the New Covenant, where? They're in our hearts, with the Spirit dwelling in us. Uh, the, that's where the law is now. So we change from an external... Uh, reality to an internal uh, reality happening. Right? We see that. That's part of the change in the new covenant. Uh, in addition to the fact that everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord, they know the Lord in a true salvific um, way. Any questions or comments? I mean, we're going to continue to trek through Ezekiel, or excuse me, not Ezekiel, Second um, Corinthians. But I, I want to give you some of that backdrop that Paul is alluding to, and he's picking up on. As he's walking through Second Corinthians. Any questions or comments? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's that's so that's that's what's happening. That's one of the changes between old and new, right? Is we want to get into the Holy of Holies, we want to draw near, uh, we can't. That's where the law is. That 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 testimony. Where it's a the. That's the agreement. That's the covenant between uh, God and man. Right. That's where His law is written. The stipulations of that covenant. But now. But what was the problem? The, the, what was the problem with the old covenant? One, it was temporary. True. But what was the problem with with with? Nobody could keep it. Right. You you couldn't keep it. Um, And furthermore, right, you have people, you have a nation, some of the people know the Lord, and some of them don't. Some of them have a heart to obey God, and some of them don't, Um, and so by and large, you have uh, a heart issue, right? It's batteries not included. Here's the, it's like, here's a ruler, and the ruler's good, it's doing its job, right? But the ruler doesn't make something long, like, uh, if I stick a ruler, next to a, one of Ashley's plants, it's not gonna—it's not just going to instantly grow. The ruler doesn't do anything, right? It just measures whether the plant's measuring up or not. But now in the New Covenant, the law is written on the heart, meaning there's a desire to obey it, a desire to do what God wants us to do uh, and, and to keep it, right? And the ability through the Spirit, because Ezekiel said, the Spirit's going to cause us to obey. It's going to cause us to obey. Yeah, Eden. Yeah. Yes, that's a good that's a good illustration. Yeah, that's that's a great illustration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we understanding this. Uh, any questions before we keep trekking through Second Corinthians? All right. So let's pick up Second. So Paul said in three one through four. Look, our letter of recommendation is essentially the new covenant change that was written on your heart. That's from God. That's our letter of recommendation to you. And that transformation that happened to you is our letter of recommendation to other people that we minister to. All right, let's keep going. 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 4 through 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Very good, right? So we get more of that same contrast. Um, what? What's the contrast between the Old and the New Covenant in this case? What's he talking about? What's the letter do? It kills. Why? Because the letter is bad? You can't measure up, right? You can't measure up. You can see that you have a dirty face, to use, um, I guess, Brian's analogy, but you can't wash, it it doesn't wash your face. Uh, uh, The law shows you your face, but it doesn't wash your face. Whereas, the spirit, according to Ezekiel, causes us to obey, writes the law in our hearts so that we want to obey, so not only do we have the standard, but the power. We have the batteries, right, to, to do this, okay? So that's why he says the letter kills, not because the law is bad, but because it doesn't have the batteries. Um, it's not internalized. Whereas the Spirit in the New Covenant gives life, it enables us to obey, it gives us the desire to obey. Okay? Let's keep going uh, 3 7 through 11. Someone go ahead and read that. Very good. What is one keyword that pops out a bunch in this section? Glory. Yeah, very good. Which is one of the things we've been talking about, right? Uh, God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being or the manifestation of that weight. To glorify God is to reflect to him some measure of the weight of honor that is proper to his being. But um, again, Paul is alluding to a very specific Old Testament episode uh, Exodus 34. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 34. Now, what happens a couple chapters prior to Exodus 34? The golden calf. The golden calf in Exodus 32. uh, Moses is getting the law. uh, He comes down the mountain. uh, They're going crazy in idolatry uh, and perversion. of. They're claiming to worship Yahweh, actually but they're doing so with a graven image and they're going nuts and it's questionable, like is God going to continue to go with his people? Is he not? Moses intercedes Uh, but in the middle of this we get Exodus 34, God says, where Moses asks, please show me your glory, right? Show me your glory, show me your character, show me your word Uh, I need to see that uh, to to, (laughs) to keep going in a lot of ways, right? Um, So Uh, That's a sweet passage, but we're going to kind of bypass that because what we want to look at is actually Exodus 34. Uh, Now, just to pause for a second, uh, thinking about Mount Sinai, because we talked about that before, uh, and thinking of the people's sin, what's the problem with Israel like seeing, or even Moses, seeing God's glory? What's the problem? Uh, Not so much faded, because actually it never mentions that his face fades that's not the issue so much as it is uh, what, what was the problem what's the problem with Israel or even Moses seeing and beholding God's glory it's too much right and he even says that in 34 like you can't see me in my face meaning it's kind of a way of saying you can't see my full the, my glory full blast right because it's going to destroy you why because not because there's a problem with God's glory but because it's God's pure life and pure worth Uh, interacting with uncleanness right? It's interacting with uh, unholiness. It's interacting with sinfulness. That's a problem right? So God can even give it to Moses in somewhat of a measure right? He gets the afterglow um, but he can't give the full thing because there's sin. Same thing with Israel right? We've said this before. They can't see it because they're, and especially now with the golden calf right? They are uh, unclean. They are, if they behold God's glory they're going to die. Right? You can even think in the initial uh, coming of God on Mount Sinai, uh, Exodus 19 and, and 20, uh, they're afraid, they're terrified because of a holy God will destroy a sinful people. Even though God's glory is the source of all life and we want that, it's just that God's life will destroy uh, anything that is unclean, it'll, it'll uh, wipe it out um, essentially. Now, that, given that backdrop, let's go ahead and someone go ahead and read Exodus 34, 29 through uh, 35. All right, let's pause right there, Gary, for just a second. Thank you. Why were they afraid? It's the... Glo- yeah, so Moses has been transformed, hasn't he, right? Something Something's happened. He's, he's, he's uh, absorbed somehow some of God's glory, and even that reflected glory to the Israelites is terrifying because they're a sinful people, because they know they can't draw near to God's glory. So that's why they're running away, okay? So, that's helpful. Okay, Gary, uh, go ahead and keep going. Okay, so when does Moses uncover his face? Before God, and specifically in the tabernacle, eventually. Initially, it's on Mount Sinai, but then it's in the tabernacle, the mobile Sinai, right? And he's absorbing God's glory. When does he put it back on? What's that? Well, yeah, but when? After he finishes speaking. So he goes in, he hears from God, right? He absorbs this glory. He goes out, he speaks to the people with face unveiled, and then after he's done speaking, he puts the veil on, right? Uh, Now, why would he, given the context of Exodus, given the context of Exodus, why would he veil his face? Yeah, and, and in this case, what's it doing? It's blocking what? It's blocking Moses, the reflected glory, right? Because why? The people are afraid that even that reflected glory of God is going to destroy the people. Right? So he's putting a. They get to see it for a little bit. They get to see it for a little bit, but it's dangerous. We know this from the whole tabernacle-temple system. It's dangerous, even when you do get to get in the Holy of Holies and see a measure of God's glory. It's dangerous to dwell there too long, right? So, yeah, you get to see a bit of that when Moses speaks, but he's going to put the veil over his face to protect the people, to protect the people from God's glory. Okay? You guys with me so far? Is this making sense? Because this is going to be key to what Paul's argument is in 2 Corinthians. Brenda's chewing on something. I can tell. Well, it talks about, it, it uses language. Sometimes it's translated that way in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, but what I'll, I would argue is actually it's not talking about the, not, I would argue, you don't have to take it that way. Uh, what's fading or what's going right well the problem is that there's nothing in Exodus nor in the rest of scripture that necessarily says that it fades nor even in like if you were to look in the intertestamental literature between um, you know the Old Testament and Jesus time there's, there's no, no one picks up on that or talks about that. So, uh, but, but, but so, uh, some people do take it that way and the language that would lend us that way actually does come from Second Corinthians, but that's not the only way to take it. And I would argue to not take it that way, because we don't see it contextually in Exodus that it says that his face fades. Uh, but that is part of the whole discussion, so uh, you're not wrong to bring that up at all. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, and here's another key in this whole episode. When do the people see God's glory? Right, but that got transferred to the tabernacle, right? Right. So so when in this in what Exodus thirty what's that? Yeah, they're only seeing it when he's speaking the word of God, right? And knowing, and and just as you said, right, it's coming from God. This word is coming with glory. You need this word. You need the law. You need the instruction. uh, But they only get to see it and peek at it when that's happening, which is, again, part of the backdrop that Paul's going to pick up on in 2 Corinthians 3. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Like, um, uh, in Exodus thirty-four, it seems like they're afraid because we see God's glory. We know what that does to sinners. Uh, we're going to run away. Moses is like, no, 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 come back. You need to hear God's law, which is actually an act of grace, really. Um, and but then to to keep the, a sinful people from gazing at God's glory too long, and so that it doesn't kill them, he's going to veil that to protect them, right? Just like the veil. In the temple is there to protect um, God's people from uh, God's glory, because a, uh, sinful people dwelling with God's glory will destroy them. It will destroy them. So, okay. So now we got that backdrop, and we go back to Second Corinthians three, uh, seven through eleven, and Paul essentially says, "Look, uh, the the ministry of death, uh, the ministry of condemnation, came with glory. It came with glory." But the ministry of righteousness, which is part of the provision of the new covenant, remember Jeremiah 31 34 says, I'm not going to remember their sins anymore. Right? They're all going to know me, they're going to be counted as righteous. So if the ministry of the condemnation came with glory, the ministry of righteousness comes with even more glory. We've got more glory going on with the new covenant than we do with the old. It's not because the old covenant wasn't glorious, it's just by comparison, the one is so much greater. It's like um, if you take if you take your flashlight you take a really bright flashlight it's like wow that looks pretty bright and then you go outside and you're like looking directly at the sun well your flashlight doesn't look that bright anymore right because the glory of the sun is so much bigger than the glory of it's not that the flashlight's not bright it's just not as bright and as uh as the sun and that's kind of what he's talking about here um now what is uh when uses this language throughout, and this gets back to Brenda's observation, uh, something that's being brought to the end, um, and uh, something that is passing away or vanishing, that's all the same word in Greek. It's this word katargio, which means brought to an end, nullified, can mean vanishing. But based on what he's talking about here, and I think even uh, someone said it, maybe it was Gary, that the Old Covenant was temporary it had an expiration date. So it's being brought to an end. So primarily what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about, okay, here's this temporary thing that has glory, but it's being brought to an end. Its Glory isn't so much being brought to an end as the whole system is being brought to an end. Okay? And that's going to become important as we walk through. All right, let's keep going. So now 3, ooh, okay, we got the big chunk here. 3, 12 through 18. Go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 3.12 through 18. Okay, let's pause right there because that's where we get our language that, like, it kind of seems like he's talking about the fading glory of Moses, right? That's kind of where we get that language. So, um, cool, uh, yeah yes yes it's a different way of putting it so um, I'll try to give you what I think is uh, here's here's how I would translate so going from the Greek here therefore having uh, hope of such a kind uh, we have, with much boldness, we are making use of much boldness. So he's saying we're bold, not like Moses, right? And not just as Moses placed a veil upon his face, in order that the sons of Israel might not gaze. And then you've got this phrase that, like you've heard it very literally, uh, might not gaze into the end. And then we get our word, the targeo, into the end of what is passing away or fading away uh, or coming... Being, being brought to an end in some sort of fashion. Now the question is, and this happens among commentators, what does it mean not gazing into the ends of what is being, what is vanishing, what is, what is coming to an end? And it can indicate results. It can indicate results, which I think the ESV probably in this case does a kind of a better job of translating it because they say outcome. Uh, they don't want to gaze at the outcome uh, of what is being brought to the end. The idea is is what is that whole idea if you stare at god's glory as a sinner too long what's the outcome death right and this is in the ministry of condemnation the thing that is being brought to an end okay it's vanishing it's going to be done away with something superior with the new covenant so he, moses is trying to protect israel that's what we saw in exodus 34 and he's saying look i'm putting this veil there so that you guys don't gaze into the outcome." what would the outcome be? You guys are going to die. So I'm going to protect you by putting this veil on so you guys don't die from the ministry of condemnation, which is being brought to an end. Um, that, that's, I think, the best sense of what's going on. It makes sense in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. It makes sense in the context of Exodus 34 and together here. So it's not that Moses' face is fading. Not even that Moses is trying to say, I don't want you to see the outcome or the end of the law in the sense that it's pointing to Christ, which it did do. He's saying, I don't want you to gain into this so that you die, because that's what the ministry of condemnation is going to do um, to you. That's how I take that. Um, Again, it's a big old discussion among commentators, but I think that's the best view of it. Okay, uh, we okay. Do we want to, any questions on that? Yeah, Susan. exactly. So, right, he's comparing two ministries. He's comparing Old Covenant versus New Covenant. He's comparing the ministry of the Old Covenant through Moses versus the ministry of the New Covenant, which he's a part of. Remember, he's laying this out for the Corinthians. He's comparing those two ministries, and he's saying the ministry of condemnation, the ministry under Moses uh, was temporary. It was being brought to an end, but it still had glory, and that glory would kill you uh, unless you put that veil over your face. So Moses was and notice how he's comparing it, saying, we're bold, we don't use a veil, Moses used a veil. Why was Moses not bold? Well, it's because he's afraid of uh, even through that reflected glory, killing Israelites. Uh, that he's trying to protect them. Uh, and so Paul is contrasting and saying, no, we're very bold. Uh, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome or the result. Uh, of what was being brought to an end. The result of it would have been death uh, if they would have gazed at that glory. Okay, so he protects them with the veil. Now, see, go ahead and keep reading, verse fourteen, if you would. Okay, Let me pause there. Now, what's he saying? What's he talking about in that? Yeah, and even what's he talking? What situation is he talking about? Like, what's the situation that's happening in verse fourteen? So they've got this veil still. In what context? Well, hold on. Yeah, the law, but the law. Like, how are they? How are they ex- being exposed to the law? Was it? Yes, they're hardened. Their minds were hardened. So the result of what Moses did, their hearts were hardened for, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, right? When did Moses have his face unveiled? At the reading the, of God's word, right? But in the synagogue, you go into the synagogue, you're reading the law, you're reading the Old Covenant. You've still got the same veil uh, because you only get that veil removed through Christ. In other words, you get to see the glory of God's word. You get to see ultimately God's glory in the reading and the proclamation of the scriptures uh, when you turn to the Lord, when you repent, right? When you uh, repent and entrust yourself to Christ which is the call of the new covenant. Okay? We go on. Um, verse uh, What's that? Right, because only the only way you get to see the glory of God in the New Covenant is through repentance and faith uh, That's the call, because he's the New Covenant mediator. He's the New Covenant mediator. So you reject him, you've still got a hardened heart and a veil over your face. Okay? Um, uh, Steve, if you don't mind, you can go ahead and read verse 15. now you see the Spirit come back in, and the Spirit is all about the new covenant, right? We saw in Ezekiel, we saw in Jeremiah, right? The Spirit's going to write the law on our hearts, he's going to write them not on hearts of tablets of stone, but fleshy human hearts that have been changed through uh, repentance. Uh, And so that's why he says, okay, if you turn to the Lord, uh, the Spirit's going to bring you freedom. Freedom for what? to gaze at that glory, right? There's there's a danger, right, uh, of gazing at that glory too long when the Old coming because you're a sinner, you're going to get devastated. But now, because the Spirit dwells you, now because you are forgiven, now because you have righteousness in God's sight, (laughs) you are free to gaze at God's glory indefinitely. You have that And then, in verse 18, uh, this verse is actually really, really hard um, to fully understand, but I think with all the background we pulled in, we all, so now Paul is not just talking about him, he's talking about him and every Christian, we all will unveil face, because they have repented and entrusted themselves to Christ, the part of the new covenant. Uh, ESV just says beholding. Uh, the NASV does better here. Beholding as in a mirror. This is a very rare word. In fact, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's literally beholding as in a mirror. Every time this word is used, it's used in uh, extra-biblical literature. Uh, it's like you're you're either looking at a mirror at yourself, or you're seeing uh, there's, there's an instance where it's used where it's like God's glory is reflected through creation. Uh, so there is beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord now where is what's the mirror yeah what's the mirror there's a mirror involved in it. yeah or more broadly the law is the new covenant of scripture right because he's been talking about how did you see god's glory the old testament you saw it through the scriptures read and proclaimed you still see it through the scriptures read and proclaimed and even as we get into chapter four he's going to make it explicit you see it through the gospel you see it through the gospel but more broadly speaking we would say you see god's glory reflected the word is the mirror the word is the mirror whether that's the word proclaimed or whether it's the scripture written that's the mirror where we see God's glory reflected through that word to us. So it's still indirect. This isn't a direct view of God's glory, but the way we see God's glory in the new covenant is through the gospel and through the proclamation and the reading of the Scripture. You guys, with me on this? Because okay. that's what he's talking about. How did you see glory in the old covenant through the reading or the proclamation? Uh, the same thing in the New Covenant. It's just that we have more information, the new information. We have the proclamation of the Gospel and the proclamation of the New Covenant of Christ. So we all, with unveiled face, we repented, we turned to the Lord. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. How are we, as through a mirror, how are we doing that through the Scriptures? What's the result? We all are dot, 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 being transformed. It's an ongoing word. It's an ongoing thing. So Paul's not just talking about initial conversion. An ongoing transformation that he and those, all of those in the new covenant have. Transformation into what? Same image, whose image? Christ, proclaimed through the new covenant, right? We see Christ's glory uh, proclaimed through the scriptures, through the new covenant, through proclamation of God's word. We see Christ reflected, glory of Christ reflected in that way. We see his image uh, in that sense and we're um, conformed to it. Think of it in terms of Moses. What did Moses behold? He was held in essence, in essence, in a sense, the image of God's glory, right? But now, um, in the New Covenant it's a similar sort of thing, and he was transformed, wasn't he? His face glowed Transformed, but now in the new covenant, what we all not just Moses, not just the priests but we all get to the the glory of the Lord, uh, and we are transformed. Remember, the question we ask is, How are we transformed? We're transformed by seeing God's glory displayed through the gospel, through Christ. Uh, it's from this into the same image, um, and literally, it, it, it reads from glory to. The glory of Christ seen reflected from the scriptures into the same kind of glory. Right. So you look at the scriptures, you see Christ proclaimed in the gospel, not just once, but again and again and again. As someone who's part of the new covenant, remember what we talked about—the very first thing we talked about in the equipping hour when we got to, when we started it up—the gospel. The gospel is not just for your entrance into the Christian life; it's for every day. Why? Because the to the same that is language still present in human beings now it's marred because of sin but this is image restoration how do you have image restoration through holding the glory of god in the face of Jesus christ which is exactly what chapter four it's unfortunate because there's kind of a chapter break there because chapter four is connected with this listen to what it says therefore having this ministry by the mercy of god so they've received the mercy of the new covenant We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with God's word, right? It's all about the word. It's the proclamation of the word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's consciousness inside of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we behold, we want to behold Jesus Christ's glory in the gospel. That's how we do it. The mirror is the word, the gospel, the proclamation, the open statement of the truth. We behold Christ's glory. And from that glory, we are brought into that glory. And we are transformed into the same thing. Uh, by the same God, who miraculously said, let light shine out of darkness. That's the miracle of the new covenant. One, for initial faith, but even for ongoing faith. Uh, and this is how we are transformed. At a core level, in the new covenant... We are transformed, not just by coming to the gospel once, but over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. Because as we come to it, we see Christ's glory, and that transforms us. That's what the apostles say. Exactly. Precisely,
1: precisely, right? This is coupled
0: with regeneration, right? This happens. When the Spirit indwells you, you turn to the Lord, you repent and entrust yourself to Christ. The Spirit indwells with you, and the Spirit brings freedom to gaze at that glory, so that you. We need Bye.